We're in a series of conversations called Fingerprint, where we've landed in the first chapter of Genesis. Because in this first chapter of Genesis, we begin to see the fingerprint of a creator. You see, if you happen to follow evolution and uh, you are an evolutionist, the profound missing ingredient in that recipe is a personal creator with a unique identity. The, the beauty of the scriptures is that we not only have a divine being who spoke this, this universe into existence, but we have a God, a creator, a savior, a person who is divine and is in love with this planet. He is in love with the people that he has made. And over and over and over and over in history, he has left his fingerprint, his imprint, so that we can see marks of his identification, who he is, his core characteristics, his traits. And marvelously, in that first page of the scripture, in each day of creation, we are seeing a consistency in the core characteristic of who God is. Because as he appears and as he shows himself, we see it repeating over and over and over and over in Scripture. The first three days of creation, we're taking one day per week. The first three days of creation are really days of separation. And God begins to separate things. Day one, God says, let there be light. We, as I remind you, we discovered that the sun had not been created yet. God himself was the light. And in that moment, he separated light from darkness. From that moment on, there has not been a book, a, a chapter in history, in human history, in the scriptures, or in our own life, where God does not continue to sep, does not um, uh, stop from uh, separating light from darkness. This is a core trait of God. That there is no blending, there's no gray, there's no shade of gray. There are many things that are black and are white, and God separates those. John chapter 1 tells us that Christ is the light of the world, and He came to be the light of the world. And in Him is there, there is no darkness, we're told. John tells us that about God the Father. And people, we're told in John, embrace the darkness rather than the light. But Christ says, if you come into the light, you will have life. And he's still separating light from darkness. Just last Sunday afternoon, someone went back into that prayer room. And they transferred their life from a life of darkness, that means their spirit being dead, to a life of light, a light where, uh, where Christ comes alive in a very real and spiritual benchmark in a person's life where they are born a second time. Their spirit comes alive. God is still separating light from darkness. We saw last week on day two where the world was still covered by chaos, the chaos of deep waters. And God says, I'm going to separate the waters from below the sky to the waters above the sky. And I'm going to put that sky in between them. And those things, those waters below, we try to control, but those waters above, the things that God gives, we cannot control. 
Things have not changed one iota. There are still things that God wants us to depend completely on him. And he separates those things. He asks us to keep them separate. In order to achieve certain things in life, there has to be a separation. Let me say it a different way. And some goals cannot be reached unless there is an element, an ingredient of separation. Many of you know I have two boys. They're eight and nine. When they start yip-yapping and they were like, stop it, stop it, yip-yap, stop, stop, what do we do? We separate them. We say, okay, you go in this room. You go in this room because it looks like we're not going to be able to achieve our goals unless we're able to separate you. You see, in the scripture, God says, look, there are some things just putting it flat out there to you that you're never going to be a, to be able to accomplish. If you have as your companion those things that are prohibiting you to get from point A to point B, you can't hold on to them. For example, you might remember Joshua and Caleb of the Old Testament. Here are two guys that went into the promised land as spies. They were the only ones that came back and said, you know what? I think God can make us get over there. The rest of the people were freaked out, as you remember, and they, they spread discord throughout the whole community. But Joshua later on in his life, he said, look, I'm going to tell you guys something. He stood in front of the whole nation. You take your choice. But as for me and my family... We're going to serve the Lord because we are only going to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish if we separate ourselves. We talked to our boys, our, our oldest boys in fourth grade. He's beginning to learn the expensive words. So one day on the playground, you know, of course, he comes home and he says, Dad, have you ever heard of this word? And he says it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. I heard it about the same age as you did. And I said, let me lay out all the words for you. And I freaked him out. And I said, every every expensive word there was. I'm like, those are the words you're hearing at school, right? Let's just go ahead and put it out there. Can we keep it real? I, he was white as a sheet. <laughs> oh, you thought dad never played on the playground. There's something coming your way. It's called middle school. It gets worse. I said, let me tell you something, son. Those choices are never going to change. The choices of this world are never going to change. But as for you and our family, we're going to serve God. We're going to separate because there are certain goals on this planet that God has chosen for us to accomplish. Therefore, we're going to do that. I'm, I'm going to guess no less than a dozen times this month. I've told my, my wife and I said, should we, should we have an expenditure there? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to separate there because we don't want to be overloaded by that. We've got a goal here. We've got specific goals. We separate ourselves because we have goals. Joshua says, for me and my family, we're going to serve Christ. We're going to serve, we're going to serve the Lord. His colleague, Caleb, you remember he's the one, he's the other one that says, no, God can do this. And God described, he used the word for Caleb that, that would to God that he would use for any of us. He said, you see this boy, Caleb? You see this young man? Wholehearted. That's the word he used. He's not blended. He's separated his desires, his ambition, his will, his choices from, from all the rest of the world and from what everybody is doing around him. Wholehearted. I love that. Last week, you remember Elijah. He stood before the entire nation 
And he puts this question out to them, and the, the answer is stunning. First Kings 18. Elijah went before the people and he said, listen, guys, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to be amalgamated? How long are you going to be blended? How long are you going to be gray? If the Lord is God, then by golly, follow him. I added the by golly part. And if Baal, this false God, is God, then you follow him. Stunning answer. But the people said nothing. It's one of the most stunning moments of silence in scriptures because they hadn't made up their mind yet. They were still gray. They were still fuzzy. They were still on the fence. And God said, you're never going to move forward unless you choose one side of the fence and stick, get your leg on the, uh, both legs on both, on one side of the fence. God is looking for that. We cannot accomplish these things if we have companions with us that are inhibiting us to move from point A to point B. And those can be many, many things. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said, look, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one or he'll love the other. He'll be devoted to the one or he'll despise the other. Now, in this case, he was talking about money, the love of money. But he could have been talking about many things because there are times in our life where we're like God is saying, look, you can't love this supremely and love me supremely. You can't love me supremely and, and put this out. You can have one or the other. So this past month, our youngest boy um, his bed is right beside a window and his head where he lays his head is about six inches from the corner of the window. And we've had this steady stream of ants that have been coming in through the corner of the window down to the floor and back. I mean, it looks like the troops are moving in, man. And uh, he's not old enough to know that these ants are not going to hurt him. But so he's a little freaked out by him. So we said, well, look, why don't you... Um, why don't you just turn around, put your head the other end of the bed, and then it'll be fine. And so, sure, we tried that somewhere around 1 in the morning. You know, he comes and wakes us up, and he said, Look, I, I, Dad, I'm, I'm shining the light on them, and, and they're not sleeping. I'm like, I know we are. We're trying to sleep. So we, he said, oh, wait, let's camp out on the couch in the living room. So we set everything up, camped them out on the couch and called the pest control. They came over and they sprayed and they said, hey, it's going to take a few days because they eat the stuff. I guess they go back to wherever they're living and then you know, it takes a while and that's all I know about it. But it's going to take a few days. A few days come, man, these, these are still streaming in. And I'm like, oh, really? And he's sleeping on the couch every night. And blah, blah, blah. so call the pest control again. They come out, they spray, huh? I can't figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And a few days later, still streaming in. Can't figure it out. I mean, this steady stream of ants. Call them again. I guess they sent the big guy out, you know, the guy that knows everything about everything. And he said, well, you know, let me look. And so he's got a flashlight out. And both of us are kind of hovered over. And we're looking there. And we're, like, getting close to the ants. And as I'm getting close to the ants, I'm, I'm kind of hearing some. I'm hearing, like, a rhythm as they're marching. You know what I'm talking about? And they're kind of, like, feeling it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, looks like they're after something. Something too good to be true. Can't take my eyes. We're like shining the light. Oh, like heaven above. Yeah. Wait a minute. I want to hold you. I'm like, well, uncover that book. What are you? What are these ants after? And I saw this. There we go. 
See, we have a rule in the McCoy house. You don't eat candy in your room. That's from Halloween. I'm like, look, dude, you got a choice. We're going to have to separate. I know you love the candy. You love it in your room. You hid that one under the old book. But you can either have ants and Tootsie Rolls or you got to step away from the Tootsie Roll. It's just that much. Now, we look at that and we think it's obvious as adults. But I'm telling you, for the adults I know, there are so many versions of adult Tootsie Rolls. That we don't want the ants in our spiritual lives. We don't want it. We want it to be all the things that we sing about. And yet we hold on to those things. Can't take my eyes off of you things. And God is saying, I'm telling you, if you want something great, if you want something profound, you might have to step away from the Tootsie Roll. So many times when we hear those kinds of statements, We feel, oh, that's so limiting. I got to give up my time in order for God to show me things, to hear from God, to be used of God. We talked about it last week. You mean I've got to let go of some of the things that I think I own, but God really owns? That means my my paycheck and my checkbook and all those things. I've got to let go of those things. I feel pretty safe where I am in a big circle, as we call Sunday morning. I mean, I'd have to give up that level of being safe and protected and and comfortable and step into a small group of 10 to 12 people. (laughs) Some people go, you mean, yeah, you'd have to separate yourself from those things, sometimes material, sometimes interior. But I'm telling you, the message of today is that they're not limiting their life-giving. There have been so many Tootsie Rolls in my life that I thought I've got to hold on to these because can't take my eyes off of you. And when God finally pries those fingers off the Tootsie Roll and you have to drop it, you think, wow, that was liberating, not limiting. That was life-giving, not life-sucking away. And God says to us today, I'm telling you, some things have to happen first before you can experience other things. Day number three, Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one and verse nine, we find ourselves on day three. And God said, let the water under the sky, I'll remind you, the planet is still covered by tumultuous, dangerous And chaotic water. That's all you can see if you did a flyby on the planet at the beginning of day three. Let the water, the chaotic water under the sky, be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. Don't you love how God is so complicated? Puts it right out there. Hey, it's land and sea. Don't mess it up. And God saw that it was good. Now, don't miss the fact that this is a cause and effect. In science, the way it would naturally work is if I held this book underwater and I pushed the book up, the water would move away from the mass. This is opposite on day three. 
there is nowhere that it says the land began to rise and God began to form mountains as those naturalists would want to explain the scripture away. And then the water just kind of rolled away. Didn't happen that way. Because God is powerful and supernatural, he says to the water first, you move, you move, and then the ground will appear as a result of that. Now, some of you are not impressed yet. You try it. You go home to your fish tank, stick your head pretty close to the water and say, move, and see what happens. The only thing will be is the fish and a small turtle at the bottom. That, those are the only things that are going to move. The water is not going to move. You see, when we're reading day three, God says, look, in order for the ground to appear, I must do something first. I must move the chaos. And there's an amazing reason. Watch. Next verse, verse 11. Don't miss the small words in the scriptures. Then, as, so, and, if, but, Therefore, I'm telling you, they're treasures. Watch. Next word is what? Then. Only then. Never only other than then. Because what God had done caused an effect that I'm moving the water so that dry land can appear. Now that I've done that first and allowed the dry ground to appear, God says, then now let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, watch it, according to their various kinds. And it was so, verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed, there it is again, according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, don't miss it, according to their kinds. And God saw it, that it was good, And there was evening and there was morning. Now, day one, God is prepping. He said, look, let me establish light against darkness. No life is growing yet. Day two, let me prep further and get this planet ready. I'm going to separate water from water. The water and the clouds and the firmament, the sky above the sky and the water below. Now beginning here, life begins. But if you're a God... Just think about it. If you're God, you could have, because God could have done anything he wanted. He could have made the entire planet lime green. Lime green skin, lime green hair, lime green eyes, lime green baked potatoes, lime green sweet potatoes. He could have made the whole one. It's his choice. God could have said, okay, I'm moving the waters. Dry land is appearing. I'm going to make all the trees and shrubs evergreen where they never die. They never have to reproduce. They're going to be like ever-ready landscape. I never have to touch it. You see, I'm amazed by that because I've never done anything in my life where I didn't have to go back and fix it. I painted our living room three years ago. It's already peeling. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to say, man, I'm going to paint my living room and repaint yourself every five years. Wouldn't that be cool? Huh? Hmm? Huh? You with me? Don't miss the fact that when God moves the chaos, allows dry land to grow, that his plan of life is life producing life, reproducing life, reproducing life. 
we begin to see here an important fingerprint of God all the way through scriptures to the very last command of Christ. Go out into the world and reproduce to people who will reproduce, who people will reproduce. They're called disciples, by the way. This chain of reaction happened on this day, but it didn't happen until God separated the chaos. When you read these words, God gathered the waters. It sounds gentle, does it not? I mean, the word gather, like, hey, honey, why don't you gather the kids up and we'll head on out. It's kind of that voice. Hey, let's gather the rabbits. It's time to feed them. Hey, we're going to, like, gather the water, you know, like, softy God. Hey, let's gather the water and let the dry land appear. Kind of like we're making an audio tape of the Bible. And then God gathered the land. And then he made the water appear. And then dry land. And then vegetation. Doesn't that make you sick? I mean, are we sick of softy God? Not that he's mean, but he's got power. Now, what amazes me is that hundreds and hundreds of years later, in a king named David, God revealed to him. He said, let me tell you what happened on day three. Watch this. Psalm 103. Check it out. Not a softy voice. God, in Psalm 104, Psalm 104, verse 5. God set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved, thank God, or else we'd just be spinning all around the universe. Verse 6, here we go. Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The chaotic waters stood above the mountains. That's where we find ourselves on day 3. How in the world did David know this other than an intimate personal, creative God who never stopped speaking to the human race. I'm amazed by that. That's a different story and a different message for a different day. But watch this. Verse 7. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The original language means "Ah, ah," like that. Nervous scurrying. God looked at the waters and he said, move. I'm passionate. No softy audio tape version of God. He rebuked the waters and they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place where you, God, assigned them. You right there now, not fooling around. You set a boundary. They cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. Now, listen. There is a reason why you see passion in God saying, move. Because there is an end in mind. And that end is that he needs to move the chaos with passion. He needs to assign it to a specific place so that dry land will appear so that there is life potential. That's the message of day three. You see, we're covered in our lives with chaos. And the level of separation, tangible separation in our life, will indicate the level of our passion. You see, 
I'm passionate right now about a diet. So when I see a pizza, I'm like, mm, I love pizza. I can't look at it. I can't smell it. I don't want you to because I'm passionate right now about dropping some luggage. That's what I'm talking about. If I said, I don't know, every other day I'll have pizza. Or I'm going to do pizza with only pepperoni and sausage, but no extra cheese. Right? No, it's not going to happen. It's like passionately saying, no, not going to do that. The level of my separation is a tangible measurement of my passion. This is the thing that frightens me about the current status of American Christians. We've covered it before. Let's remind ourselves again. There's a separation of black and white, of lightness and dark. Well, come on, a, a Christian man may see, say, everybody looks at porn from time to time. It's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. First of all, it's an insult to God and to your wife if you're married. But more than that, the imprint, the fingerprint of God cannot be fully seen by others if we've covered ourselves with the chaos of something addictive like pornography. I'm startled with American Christians of how gray we've made things. And it makes a difference because I'm telling you what, the level of our separation is a tangible measurement of our passion for God. If we say it doesn't matter, that indicates our passion for God. If I say God has blessed me with X number of dollars per year, here, God, here's a dollar. I'm not separating myself from my stuff. Well, that's a tangible measurement of my passion for God. The things I say, the things I watch, the things I hear, the things I'm about, the things that I do, the things I don't do, the things I'm like, man, I've got life in mind and I want that life and that's my passion. Christ had this passion. Do you remember when he told his disciples, look guys, it's near the end. I'm going to go into this city, Jerusalem. They're going to beat me to a pulp beyond recognition. They're going to yank my beard out. They're going to whip me. And I'm going to be turned over to leaders. And they're going to lay me on a cross. And they're going to kill me. Of course they were troubled, but it was Peter who stepped up and said, No, 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 wait. Maybe you missed it, God. Maybe you missed it, Jesus. you got a big following. you got a lot of friends on Facebook. And uh, you got a big fan club going, man. And, you know, if you just went snip-snap like that, you'd beat the incumbent. You'd be king in a day. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? I've got a lot of passion, and I'm going to deliver to you an answer to what you've just said. In Matthew 16, Jesus turned and said to Peter, you get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block, an impedance to where I've got to go. I'm here on this planet to accomplish something very, very specific. And I'm going, as I've told you guys, I'm going to be like a plant where the seed has to die in order to drop to the ground so that life can come up again. Day three, Genesis. 
He's saying, I've got to die so that people can have life. If I die like any other man, this is not going to produce life. I've got to come back from the dead and I'm going to reproduce this life and other people just like day three. Peter, you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of men. Then watch, Jesus says this to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've got to separate. For whoever wants to save his life must separate, must lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it, will find life. You see, Jesus is so passionate in separating himself from the temptation that Peter said, hey, come on, man, you don't have to do that. Come on, man, you don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to be vulnerable. You don't have to do whatever that tootsie roll you're holding on to. I promise you there will be someone who says, you don't have to do that, man. And the end result is that dry land will not appear because we're covered with chaos and therefore, the only thing you can grow is water lilies and not oak trees. Because oak trees grow on, on soil. And God is looking in this generation for those who will separate themselves from their Tootsie Rolls in order that dry land might appear so that he can say, see the world? You see me? You see me in that Caleb? Because he's wholehearted. And now I can be viewed by the world. You see... Day three, as you might remember, is not the only time that God separated water and so that dry land can appear. You remember the Israelites had found themselves free from the grips of the nation of Egypt. They began to escape and they found themselves at the water's edge of the Red Sea. Now, as we're reading the story, we're quite comfortable with it. But all of us have had our own Red Sea experiences. Isn't it funny how God will put us and paint us into a corner at times so that we know there is no plan B? And at those moments, we began to say, oh, God, help me. I need you in this moment. And God says, I've been waiting for you to say that because I want to show myself to you. But watch, in order for them to move from the old place to the new place, God had to separate in Exodus chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Why? Because he was moving them to a new place. And had they not separated that water, they could not have moved forward. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. I had a professor in seminary who said, well, this really wasn't a miracle like they say. This was a low time of the year for the water and they crossed over ankle deep. I'm like, oh, well, then that's not the real miracle. It's uh, how God drowned all those soldiers in knee-deep water, ankle-deep water. And that's a mighty short wall. I don't believe it for a second. I believe that wall was way over their heads. And when I'm reading that, I'm reminded that when we separate from those things, when we finally drop the Tootsie Roll, the walls never move. 
There is a wall to your right and a wall to your left. They're always waiting. They're always texting and emails and opportunities for raises and advances and promotions and this and that. And come on, let's have a great social life. And, and, and as I look at people and talk to people, often I walk away from the conversation with an image of a pie chart in mind. You remember the pie charts in school? And I often think, wow, the slice that's allotted for God is so amazingly thin. You see those walls of chaos, even when you lead a separated life, are always there. I could work 120 hours a week hands down every week. I could go into so much debt. My, I have great credit. I could go out this afternoon and get a credit card at J.C. Penney's and The Gap and, and, uh, and every place I wanted. I could, I could rack up $10,000 of debt this afternoon. That opportunity, that wall of chaos, even for those that are saying, man, I got my eye, are always there, ready to rush in. But if we say, God, I'm walking because I want to get to a new place for a specific reason. Exodus 14.4. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory, God says, for myself through Pharaoh and his, all of his army and the Egyptians. Here we go. The whole point of this entire conversation. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Pop! Fingerprint. You see, when we're living separated lives with dropped Tootsie Rolls and walking on the dry land that God has for us, other people see God. Mission accomplished. When I say, look, we're not going to be involved with these things and these things and these things because we're going to, as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. People see that. Do you remember when the Israelites were getting ready to pro cross into the promised land? Joshua 4, now the Jordan was at flood stage. Isn't it wonderful how God waits till things are flooded? He waited till flood stage during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who were carrying the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. In order for us as followers of Jesus Christ to reach a place where God has enough soil to work with. For us to reach a place where we can begin to produce and reproduce. We have to let the water heap up. And then it becomes more and more and more and more distant. But see, all this for me is not enough. As we close, I have to look at day three and say, okay, then what is the plan? What is the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Number one. God was very intentional. He said, I'm asking you to move. He was passionate. He was passionately intentional. I'm guessing that there's one Tootsie Roll in your life that's like, man, if I could drop that thing. And, I'm, and I can't take my eyes off you. Start with that one. 
Maybe there's 18, but start with one so you're not overwhelmed. It may be your job. It may be your relationships. It may be some sin that you're involved in. That's not popular today to say that, even in, unfortunately in God's church. But there may be something that's got a hold of you. Perhaps you're enamored with your children to the place that they are more than God and they are more than your, your involvement with God. And the chaos of their lives, we have kids, I know it's chaotic. I could put them in all kinds of sports and spend all time, you know, our, our kid made a C recently. You know what we said? Way to go. Way to go. Yeah, you know what? We chose not to stay up until midnight just to make the grade, to wreck our family and to wreck your emotions and make sure we want you to know that Christ is one. Christ is first. Not a brand new pair of tennis shoes or an A+. And man, it's tough because the walls of water are all around us and you can love your children more than you love God. You can love your stuff. You can love your wife and all these things. And God is saying, look, it's not that I am angry at you at all, but I am so passionate that you have ground that you can reproduce. Ready? Because that's where the jazz is. I'm telling you, when plants start coming up, somebody told me this morning a story and they were saying, and, and this guy turned to me and said, I'm telling you, you're making a difference in my life. I had a mom come up to me of a 30-year-old. She was visiting today after the first service. I went to lunch with a guy, just simple. But the reason I went to lunch with him is because I wasn't overloaded with a bunch of stupid Christian stuff, to be honest with you. And I did some one-to-one -one small circle with the guy. She came up to me, never seen her before in my life. She took both of my hands and she said, I've been praying for my son for 30 years. She put her finger right in my chest. I'm begging you not to back off. Woo, there's some jazz. And if I were involved with the chaos of everything, that's Hebrew for chaos, <laughs> and unable to... Whew, make some room for those moments, then guess what? God's like, oh, man, you're missing the jazz. You're missing the jazz. People get upset with us at 360 because of all the human species on the earth. I think Christians have more ideas than any of them. And if we did a fraction of the ideas that came across our desk, the Hebrew word, watch. We are passionately intentional in a generation that is not making disciples one-to-one. -one. We're passionate about that. Everything is a means to an end to glorify God by accomplishing that goal on earth. That we love God, we love people, uh, we, uh, with all of our heart, by the way, we tell the world about Christ and we make disciples. And that last part, I'm telling you, is missing. It's missing, it's missing, it's missing. 
So we say no to that. We can't do that. We can't do this program or softball or Bible, a million Bible studies and this, that, and the other. Not that we're against the, yeah, those, none of those things are bad. But we're like, we are intentionally assigning like the chaos of water. You're over here. You're over here. You're over here because we got dry land in our eyesight, in our target, so that life can reproduce life, can reproduce life. And the challenge with church in America right now is that there's floods of chaos. And we think the more we do and the more people we have in the building, boy, my arms are getting tired, the better it is. And all the time, there's no dry land. I'm tired. God is saying, oh, it's the jazz of life giving life to life to life. That's where the jazz is. I had some friends that were in Washington, D.C. this week. They visited Washington's home, Mount Vernon, and they took a picture of one of the plaques. And I wanted to share that as we close. This plaque says, leading the way on the left, Washington said, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with. As much as Washington rightly became known as one of the great heroes of the American Revolution, he was a leader with human flaws. He suffered from bouts of indecisiveness, made strategic blunders, and faced challenges to his power. At times, he experienced moments of complete Despair, believing that chances of an American victory were near impossible. Yet, his deep commitment to the cause made it impossible for him to quit. His character forever compelled him to keep moving onward. We have a goal in mind. It is dry land where life is reproduced. And as chaotic waters come into play, we say, no, mm -mm, not doing that. We have a passion. And hopefully, the tangible measurement of our separation is an indicator of our passion. How about you? Are there things in your life the Tootsie Rolls that are so attractive that you say, man, I can't let go of this. Your stuff, relationships, social life. So I, all the time, like, oh, man, you got to get in. You got to get in that group, a small group. That's, that's where the jazz starts to happen. Oh, man, I have no idea. I'm, I'm so busy. I'm like, really, twice a month. Too much chaos. Too much chaos. Oh, I can never give to God. Too much chaos. I'm in a small group. Well, cool. Could you spend one one time with some? Oh, man, I, I don't know, dude. I'm, I'm a little freaked out by one. It's a little too close. Chaos. God said, let it go. Separate yourself. Be courageous. Do you have dry land that is appearing? Or is it covered by Chaos. Because I'm telling you, if you allow God to separate and so that he can begin to grow, 
that's where the jazz is. Let's pray.
to have a conversation with someone.